Welcome to They That Hope with Father Dave and Deacon Bob seeing humor and hope in a crazy world. And I'm Deacon Bob. And you're crazy too. I am crazy. But you know what's what's really crazy? What's that? Purdue getting beaten by Engelbert Humperdinck University. Um, That isn't actually who they got beaten by. But okay. must, uh, it's something uh, like that. Farley Dickinson. What's it called? Flickenstein? Farley what? Farley Dickinson. It's a school in New Jersey, and it's actually the same uh, conference as St. Francis University that the Friars run. But honestly, Bob, oh, okay. it was like the so Purdue. Purdue has a history of this, of not playing well yes. in the tournament. Only twice in the history has the number one team lost in the first round and Pittsburgh was or Purdue was number two and, for that. Just And I heard though it was the widest point margin. Like they were supposed yeah. to win by twenty points. It was bad. I'm yeah, sorry. It was really it was it was really bad. And then Kansas lost yesterday. So they were also okay. a number one team. Just for the record Oh wait, I, I saw that one. They they beat Arkansas beat them, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Did, you didn't watch that game because we didn't play the where in the world are you. We'll do that later. But did you get okay. to see the game? I didn't see any basketball. All right. So this is what happened. So I'm here. So I'll just give it up. I'm actually in Darien, Illinois right now uh, at Our Lady of Peace Parish. Guess. I'm doing a parish that mission. That was my first Exactly. Guess. You can tell by the background. Parish yeah. parish office. Very exciting. And um, the priest uh, loves basketball. So we had, we got to sit down. So I actually started to watch – March Madness, which I haven't done in a while. And I watched the Kansas versus Arkansas game, which was a big upset because Kansas, I guess, was number one. Arkansas was number eight. College basketball is fascinating to me, like some of the weirdness of it. Like, so I guess the mascot for Arkansas, it's like a a hog? It's the Razorbacks. It's the Razorbacks. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the, the women cheerleaders who are very attractive had the word hogs written across their chest. And I just thought, that's not... That's usually That's ladies don't like to be compared to hogs, but they seemed really excited about it. They were okay with But that. here's the weird thing. Here's the weird thing. So Arkansas wins, huge upset. Arkansas people are going crazy. The coach of Arkansas. I saw that. A little guy. Oh, you saw that. Gets up on the table, takes off his shirt. And my first thing I noticed, because I noticed these things, he has no chest hair. You know, he's like Jesus after the resurrection. No chest hair whatsoever. Okay. And then he starts like throw, like spinning his shirt around. And I notice he doesn't have armpit hair. That's not natural, right? Where, where I mean, I know some people don't have chest hair, but you don't have, like, do you have armpit hair? Is this that too is personal? So weird. Yeah, this is so weird. I, yeah, I have nothing to say here. I mean, I thought it was strange enough that the coach jumps up on table and takes off his shirt. I was yeah. okay. That was. That it was, was a little enough. like, maybe the kids could do that, but you're supposed to be. Now, he actually, yeah. I mean, he's not like. Chris Hemsworth buff, but he was okay. But I, I, this is what I was thinking. I had a feeling at some point in his life he thought to himself, I need to stay in shape and I need to shave just in case I ever have the opportunity to take my shirt off in front of a national audience. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. I wouldn't take a shirt off in front of a national audience, That's, but mostly I because we were going to talk about college basketball. So that was not exactly the This is college basketball. This is, this is college <laughs> basketball. You didn't see any games, but you saw that. This is college basketball. It was yeah, it was big on it. But um, let's see. So we've still got quite a few Catholic teams that are there. That are uh, actually okay. Catholic schools generally do really well in March or in college mm-hmm. basketball period. So we can okay. we can root for Marquette because my younger brother went okay. to Marquette. We can also root right. for Gonzaga because my other younger brother went to Gonzaga. 
So those are two teams. If if Purdue is really your team and you're and you're sad about that, then you can root for those two. But March yeah, Madness really is college, that way. honestly college sports is just fun. The, it, yeah. There's just more authentic. I don't know excitement. Yeah, like even well, they're shorter. Math. I guess I didn't realize you know watching as NBA as much NBA as I do. There's only, I mean, I, I guess there's always two halves, but there's not periods. There's just two halves. Right. And right. how long is each half? I think. 20 minutes? I'm not sure. I, I was going to say 20 minutes. I think each half is 20 minutes, so it's a 40-minute So it's game. it's a lot shorter than an NBA game, to be sure. Yeah, yeah just yeah. everything goes by quicker, and the energy is off the charts, especially. Yeah. It, it was really it was really quite fun. So I'm can I I'm getting an understanding of the madness of March and the joy that it can Amen. bring people's lives. Amen. Amen. And I think yeah. almost like something like 90% of the money that NCAA makes in their year is from March Madness. I mean, oh, it's on course. TV. It's on TV. It's 24-7. I can't yeah. even find SportsCenter. Every, NBC 1, 2, 3, and 4, or ESPN yeah, and, is just all about, yeah. about, all about that stuff. Okay, you're welcome, But folks. let's talk That's about all... the real sport, which is rugby. Yeah, so I'm actually, I'm in Gomming, Austria right now, but I spent the weekend in uh, Ireland, myself and uh, some friends and some... Yeah, Wait a second. Some... Were you in Ireland on St. Patty's Day? I was. I was just going to talk about that. So Ooh. we were in a, a little town south of Cork, maybe 45 minutes on the water, can, can sail. Just, a, I mean, about 5,000 people, lovely. I'm, Are you I'm going to do my impression of the Arkansas coach right now. It's really sure. hot in this room. Okay. Um, so it was just lovely. And it was really fun just to be there on St. Patrick's Day. Um the Carmelites have a place that are just beautiful. They've been there for centuries, so prayed a little while there. And it was actually the first celebration they've had since COVID. Like the people, it was kind really? of, yeah, it was, it was kind of moving actually that how happy the local community was. They've not had a St. Patrick's Day parade for three years and it was just, it was just lovely. And, you know, it's, Ireland is fun period, but Ireland on St. Patrick's Day was just really fun i was a little worried like what we're getting into but again we're in a small little village now a lot of people came there because it's just so picturesque it's kind of the quintessential pubs in the evening it was just it was wonderful uh and the whole night was just great Uh, and then the next day we went to dublin and uh we went to the rugby match so i i don't actually follow rugby but ireland was playing england it was for the six nations uh and if Ireland won, it was the first time they got a Grand Slam, which means they won all their games. It was the first time they've ever won the Grand Slam at home. I mean, the whole country was... And they won? They won. Ireland won. Yeah, they beat England, which wow. is, even makes it sweeter. So right. it was just yeah. great. It was, you know, honestly, it was just wonderful time with some friends. And yeah, some friends that, that just, we don't get to spend much time together. And it was lovely. So, and then I got up this morning at... at uh, 4.30 to be here in Gami. But you know something I did, this little side note. It was the first time ever I did the flight where you don't fly overnight. You fly early morning from Newark and you arrive into London in the evening. So you Ooh, don't how fly was that? overnight. It was nice. Yeah. You, you don't have just that killer horrible that you feel the next day after you go all night. So right. yeah, so I'll be in Gami for a few days visiting the faculty, staff, and students here. Uh, and then I'll be home in a couple of days. That's, so that's fantastic. It. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Praise God. And I hear actually for, I hear our gomming numbers are absolutely insane. 
like going into the fall, like the amount of students that want to go to Gomming and are yes. able to do. Yeah, something like I mean, that. 4, that program is as popular as ever. Yeah. It's just it's just it's, a great blessing. Just a great blessing. Yeah. 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 So it's awesome. good to be here. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. When do you get home? So I get home on Wednesday morning, and then I, okay. I mean, it's an early flight, and I'm right into classes and faculty meetings and student advising. That's a big thing. We're getting uh, – our students are just getting off spring break, and they are uh, they immediately start planning for classes for the summer and for the fall. So, um, But it, it's great. You cool. know, so it's crazy how we're already – we're halfway through a number of things. We're halfway through the semester. Last Sunday, we celebrated – Laudate, right? Is that it? Or got? I always get the Laudate and the Gaudate confused. Atari or that. Yeah. yeah, Atari 2600 Sunday, um, which means we're halfway through Lent. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's. It, I always feel like the spring at this point just... And it's actually officially spring now. Yes. Yeah. Yes, March 20th. Yep, it is. When this drops, yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, no, the weather well, here is where we. Oh, go ahead. Is it? Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. It's freezing cold here in the Chicago area. Uh, it's one of the coldest things they've had in a while. I'm really excited. All of my travels seems to be, hey, it's never been this cold here in a while. I mean, whether I'm in California and it was freaking snowing or here in Chicago, which you kind of expect in Chicago. You know, it was, yeah. always, it was always cold growing up around here. But, yeah, it's good times. Yeah. Well, we don't have a promo, but I do have a funny email. Uh, and this is a shout-out to Joan. Uh, Joan just said this because you know we asked if you're alu- if you're not alumni, let us know. So she says she's not alumni, she's not American, she had never heard of Franciscan, thought we were talking about a place called Studentville, <laughs> which you got to admit is a pretty cool name. It is a British Catholic woman living in London. Do you root for Chelsea? Uh, I love your podcast; it's full of joy. I find it uplifting. I have literally no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> When you do your sports update, well, so she's I'm not sure these happy last... about, about our sports update this week. Then God bless you, Joan. Say, Sorry yeah, about that. Yeah, she's thinking, "What are you talking about?" But Joan, thanks for hanging in there, and uh, thanks the for listening. And rugby, for all the she will be. Me. She'll know exactly what we're talking that, about. We're, that's exact, and she's actually going to be angry because England exactly. lost. So way to rub Sorry it in Joan's that, face. Joan. We love you. Sorry, Sorry Joan. about that. You're, yeah, please keep listening. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So on to other things. Okay. So here's what we're last. Was it last week that we talked a little bit about the media's coverage of the Pope? And we the did. News? We talked about the conference of a post-truth and a journalism in a post-truth world. I think. Okay. So there was something that happened early last week and I was, it was interesting because I may have mentioned it to you. I said, it's going to be interesting to see how the media covers this because the Holy Father uh, spoke about the whole transgender issue. And he said that um, he spoke of it and he said that, it is one of the most dangerous transgender ideologies, one of the most dangerous things in the world right now. And he said, because it blurs the quote, because it blurs the differences in the value of men and women. He said, all humanity is the tension of differences. It is to grow through the tensions, the tension of difference. The question of gender is diluting the differences and making the world the same, all dull, all alike. And that is contrary to the human vocation. He said it is one of the most destructive um, things facing the world today. It's like he, he compared it to like a colonization of ideology. Um, mm. Now, I heard them say this and I said, it'll be interesting to see how the media covers that. Did you hear anything about it? No. Of course you didn't. 
Now, if you, if you would have said something else that could have been taken out of context, it would be on every news channel. So when he says something that doesn't buy into kind of the liberal, progressive, woke media, you, you don't hear the coverage of that. But when it's something that mm. may be somewhat controversial, then you hear a lot about it. Yeah, hence, I think I heard something about priestly celibacy, right? Did he say hence, something about that? Or? Hence, exactly. Thank you very much. Hence the next oh. story that it seems like everybody wanted to jump on because he talked about priestly celibacy. Now, one of the things that he said, and this is a quote, he said, there is no contradiction for a priest and a priest to marry. He says, celibacy is a temporary prescription. And what he's saying is that it's absolutely right that there is the church has not always had only a celibate clergy. And the reality is, is even now, I think you, you and I both know priests that, who are married. So it's, it's, you know, it's the tradition of the church now to have a, a celibate clergy. But what all the media said is, you know, is the Holy Father going to change the celibate rule? Well, he goes on to say, no, that, that it's part of our history, but that there's a great value to the church and all that. But all you heard was Pope going to change, priests can get married, finally right. it's going to. Well, he goes on to say, he says, he thinks that it's naive to think that just by having a married clergy is going to fix all the problems, all the vocation issues that right. we have in the church. But what people picked up on, again, was anything that could be controversial. Well, in a, in a culture that's obsessed with sex, they just yeah. can't understand how celibacy can occur. And, yeah. um, you know, there's sadly a way during, the, uh, during a lot of the scandals that were going on, so many news commentators would be like, well, you know, if you just let them be married, that would have fixed the problem, Which even though so the the average, you know, sadly, the average profile of a pedophile is a married guy in his 40s. You know, it's yeah. like, so you're arguing that that doesn't happen with any, you know, but like, it's all messed up. And it really yeah. does come down to, you know, I mean, obviously, that scandal is tragic. And but it just doesn't have anything to do with the celibacy part of it. No, and right. gosh, it's just, it's just a mess um, right. of understanding mm -hmm. sex and control and all of those things. Like to, to, like to conflate those issues is, is really horrible. Yeah. And it just, what it allows us again to, to speak to is, is what you kind of alluded to, Bob. And that is that we live in a world that's just really, has a, a really twisted idea of sex and sexuality. And there's obviously a relationship between the transgendered issue that we're talking about and sexuality and, and sex. And, but as, you know, as, as a priest, I obviously became a religious before I became a priest so that I take a vow of, uh, of chastity. Um, and, you know, obviously, we, again, we both know priests who are married, but, there's no way, no way I could do what I do as a married person. I mean, there's there's something beautiful. I believe there's something beautiful in the witness of a celibate, be it a male or a female, that's that's willing to offer themselves up to the Lord and offer that gift to the Lord. It's not this. I mean, people talk about oh, it must be a cross that you have to bear. Oh, okay, fine, sure, maybe sometimes it's difficult, but it's a gift. I mean, it's the gift of my sexuality that I'm able to give to the Lord and offer that to him. And then ultimately he makes a gift out of that. I mean, there have been so many occasions that I've been in situations that the people have reached out to me or they've shared their story or they've trusted me 
And it's because of the stance that I have. It's the state that I am as a celibate that people, ex you know, accept that. And, and, and there's a trust that goes along with that. So when that's violated, that's why that's so profoundly disturbing when that's violated across yes. the board. I would say the same thing for a husband or wife who validate, who, um, who is not faithful to their vows. But yes. as a celibate, yeah, there's something absolutely. uniquely different about that. But, you know, we were just talking a little bit earlier that, you know, you represent, obviously, a married clergy because you're an ordained deacon. And there's something, I think, beautiful about that, that that, that we are actually, even both as men, we, we're complementary in, in how we live our life. The vow, the, vow or the vow of chastity allows me to love differently, and your vow to yeah. your wife allows you to love differently. It's something I've had to have a deeper understanding of in the context of married love is is a, is a chastity within my marriage and really to separate out lust and love and um, really find a way of truly being a gift of self to my wife in a loving way as opposed to a I need something and you're the object through which I'm going to get pleasure, which is, which is a lustful way. And I talk to a lot of young guys, um, you know, at Franciscan as they're getting married. And um, sadly, there's just an epidemic of pornography and the, the culture in which they grow up in, you know, is they're just seeing of, pornography. Of they're, they're, it's just messing with their heads and, and so I talk to them about this and I say, you know, it's not uncommon that um, somebody might really be struggling with that, but then they're going to get married and they think, well, marriage is going to solve this problem for me because I'm going to start having sex. And then the problem comes back because lust is lust. Like it doesn't get satisfied by love. It's a different expression of love. And and just in our human nature and in, our sin, in my own sinful nature, you know, right? Like I can... I can start getting kind of caught up in the desires of the world. And I think that's one of the, the challenges that so many, so many people have against the church's teaching against birth control. Because, you know, birth control essentially says there's times that if, I, if, we, if we're not able to have life, if we're not open to life for whatever the valid reason might be, well, then we just don't have sex with each other. And the world goes, what do you mean you don't have sex? Well, what if you want to have sex? Exactly. Well, we don't. But like there's this attitude of like, no, no, no. If you have a sexual urge, that's what that spouse is for. And then and then you just look, you know, I think Jason Everett, who's a great chastity speaker, brought it up one time. He just said, you know, why is it the every, every the cover of every magazine is about, you know, sex, sex tips that will blow their mind. And, you know, people are looking for more out of the physical experience of sex because they're not actually getting what sex was intended for, which is the gift of self. Like I'm not looking at creative ways to have new experience. I, I don't need a new experience. I love my wife and I'm trying more and more to be a pure gift of self to wife. And, um, and that's just very different from what the world offers. And, and that, sure. you know, ties into your celibacy is also a gift of self to the Lord. It's it, it both, both kinds, whether it's marriage or, you know, religious celibacy, you know, whether it be a consecrated virgin or, or priest, like it's both about gift of self, and I think sometimes that's what the world doesn't get. Um, it, it's all about the other in that sense, right. giving my sexuality, sacrificing my sexuality, my own desires, putting those to death for the sake of the other. That's that's where the grace comes. 
Right, right. And the other is, you know, it, it's a gift that I offer to the Lord, of course, but it's also a gift that the celibate gives to the people we're called to love, you know, that, mm -hmm. that in a way that I'm my gift of celibacy, hopefully is life giving for you. It's life giving for your family, just the relationship that that the celibate is able to enter into that. So it's, it's a self gift to the Lord, obviously, and it's a self gift to the church that that the celibate is able to love the people of God differently than than you as, as a married ordained clergy uh, deacon, and and e even within married clergy, you know that the the thought that we're we're necessarily going to get more priests if we simply allowed married clergy is is I don't think it's I think the Protestants have chosen have revealed that that's in fact not the case. It's one ought not have you know married clergy only because we need more priests. We have married clergy right. because we sense that this is what the Lord is inviting us to do. And even in that, we'll always have a celibate clergy. You know, I again I took vows yes. before I became a priest that that there is there is something I think beautiful about the religious state, be it a male or a female, that that chooses to be standing before the world, before the Lord, before the other, before the church. And says that there's something beautiful in this gift. And um, again, we, we live in a world that, you know, maybe, maybe in a strange sense, they say sex is beautiful. But rarely would you hear something that celibacy is beautiful, or you know, even even right. within the marriage state, that that there are times that, like you alluded to with birth control, that there are times that the married married couple have to be abstinent. And and there's something beautiful mm -hmm. about that. And and I think our, our world just says no. You know, it's what separates us from the animals is, is that the married couple really do make a decision and a choice. It's not just, it's not just feeling. It's not just the physical. But there's something about the giving of the other, and that's what our culture and our world just does does not get. It totally escapes them. Yeah, yeah. I love you know John Paul II's theology of the body so beautiful. But just that idea of we're embodied souls you know, and how, um, you know, our, our faith isn't just a spirit, you know, an intellectual exercise, but it's incarnate in our bodies. I mean, that's the idea of the theology of the body, like, you yeah. know, a study of God through the way in which we were made. And then even the sacraments, I mean, those are all physical, tangible experiences of God. And so the Lord isn't, you know, saying just deny the physical world he's actually trying to sanctify it that's what the incarnation was about sure and sure. you know living that grace and being purified it's a challenge to be sure i'm sure you know some of our listeners are challenged by some of the things that we just said i'm challenged by the stuff i'm saying <laughs> you know i'm i'm a sinner in need of grace and i'm always trying to to you know be holy and to love the lord but it is that it is that yes to the lord and the gift of our bodies you know what is it mm -hmm. that St. Paul said, you know, that we offer ourselves as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, you know, to the Lord. Um, and that's our, that's our act of worship. And then we can tell what the Lord's will is when we're giving ourselves fully to him. Uh, we can really be docile to the spirit and say yes and do things in powerful and profound ways. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise Amen. God. Well, speaking of the Lord, um, <laughs> this, this week coming up is our... What week is it? Is it our fourth week? Our fifth week? No, I, I, lost, I lost yeah. a little bit of control. The fifth it's Sunday of Lent. Yep. Another long reading. It, you know, at one point we decided we were going to read the Gospels, and then we realized, boy, John, John doesn't shortchange you when it comes to uh, text at all. So 
Uh, we're not yes, going to do it, but it is the John. gospel, uh, John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus. Yep, uh, verse 1 to 45. And we're all obviously familiar with the story. They go to Jesus and say, Lazarus is ill. And he says, oh, I'm, 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 I'm going to get there. Uh, and then waits a couple days and then finally shows up. But in, in some ways, what you were talking about, Bob, was was that really struck me. And it's one of the things that I really love about this gospel is is the physicality of it. You know, the humanness of it, that, that there are a couple instances when um, it says um, Jesus and, and Mary, uh, Jesus loved Martha and his and his sister and, and they were friends. Um, I just I, I love just that. Sim I mean, it sounds so simple, but. Um, Mary and Martha, they were friends of Jesus. They spent time with him. And there's something just about that. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place. It's like, well, we're going to ask him about that, right? And, but she asked him too. <laughs> but I just love the humanness of the scene. So when Jesus finally comes, when Mar Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary sat at home and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I just, I love the emotion of that. I mean, there's not, there's not a person, I think, who's taken the faith serious who, who hasn't whispered a prayer like that. You know, Lord, I, where, where were you? I, I didn't think this was supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed to turn out this way if you would have been here. And, and I just, I really love, yeah, just how it's, it's so raw, it's so real. I also find myself wondering, um, Mary stays at home. It says Mary sat at home. And, and Martha, both, I mean, we've both been that. Martha runs to Jesus and says, where were you? And, and Mary, we don't know exactly what was going through her heart, but she just stays at home. Yeah, is she, is she despairing? We, we, we just don't know. But there's something about that just alone by herself at home. Um, the, just It's such a human, human reading. And then I love when... Uh, he says, Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, he said, do you believe this? And I just love this. Yes, Lord, I have come to believe. Even in her disappointment and where were you? Yes, Lord, I've come to believe. And there's just such an act of faith in that. It's like, I wanted it to be different. I thought it was going to be different. I thought you were going to show up and I wasn't going to be feel like this. But even in all that, yes, Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Christ the one who is coming into the world. And, and I love that you know, he's obviously going to go on a lap to raise Lazarus, which was a nice plus, right? Um, <laughs> but but she didn't know that at the time. And, and I thought that was really, really beautiful. And then again, um, when when they, Jesus sees the weeping, the women weeping, the Jews weeping, uh, he was deeply troubled in his heart. And he says, where are you? And I just, again... I love the humanness of this, that that yeah. she was deeply troubled troubled in her heart and she was deeply sad, you know, Jesus, where were you? And as was he, you know, that that same sense that to think that Jesus is, is void of that and, and doesn't enter into our messiness and into our brokenness. And he was deeply troubled because they were. And then we obviously know the story, Lazarus come out. Right, but I yeah. think it's just it's a continual invitation for us to just be honest with the Lord and to be present with Him, and and hopefully to have the same pro proclamation of faith. Uh, I have come to believe. I have come to believe. I don't know if you ever played Trivial Pursuit or not. You remember that little thing, a little like wedges and stuff like yeah. that. 
Um, I remember one of the questions is, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? And the answer is, is John 13, 35, Jesus wept. Hmm. Just two verses. Some, some translations say, and Jesus wept. So they like throw a little extra word in there. Yeah. But it is, I do think it's actually kind of fascinating. Just that, just, just that phrase, Jesus wept. And um, I, I think, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible almost tells us the most about the humanity of Jesus yeah. in that moment. Like, because why did he weep? You know, I mean, he, it mentions in the beginning of the chapter that he tells the apostles, I'm going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. Like there's no, there's no subtlety to this. You know, like he, he actually, it it seems as though he stayed behind a little longer to make sure he was dead so he could raise him from the dead. To prove the point, Yeah, yeah, exactly. To, to go and do that. And the fact that, I mean, if I had the power to raise people from the dead, uh, I would, I would certainly misuse it, (laughs) but I wouldn't weep. Right, I would be like, "Hey, what's wrong, everybody? How dead is he?" Oh, yeah. you know, don't you, you know, know like, who I am? <laughs> right, I'd be like, you know, "Hey, let's see if he's awake," oh, you know, and and mess with him a little bit, and then be like, "No, raised from the dead." You know? And uh, I mean, I'd be goofing around. I'd be I'd be telling people not to cry. That's what I would do. And I think sometimes when when we know somebody who is in mourning, um, our first reaction is to try to get them to stop morning stop crying it's going to be okay you know and uh you know cheer him up or do something like that which isn't always the right thing but at least that's usually my reaction you know to to things and here's jesus with the power to raise lazarus from the dead with the the desire to raise lazarus from the dead you even told people he's going to raise lazarus from the dead he was totally intending to raise lazarus from the dead and he wept like he allowed himself to be in that moment with Mary and Martha and the others. And he didn't shortcut it like I would have. He didn't ignore it. He didn't try to fix it, which is sometimes what we want him to do, right? But he he allowed himself to enter into that moment and embrace it and feel it. And then after that, redeemed it. That That I think is really incredible. You know, in some ways, you know, he was going to show his power and you know, raising somebody from the dead is very impressive. And you know, but yet, there's a lot of other stories that show his power. Uh, you know, he raised the widow's son from the dead, and and but like to show his love. You know, I, I think of the the actual root word of compassion is to suffer with. And when we talk about a, a God who is compassionate, it means a God who suffers with us. That's why he became incarnate. And so that. I think there's almost no better image of this in all the Gospels than this image of Jesus, tears streaming down his face, mourning with Martha and with Mary and the others, and just being in the midst of it. You know, I think of that in my own suffering. I'm very eager for Jesus to fix my suffering, but I'm usually somewhat blind to him being a part of my suffering, you know, and... And that, that's what he actually wants to do. I just want him sometimes just to fix it, please. And he says, no, I actually want to come into it. And that's mm-hmm. a more vulnerable, difficult thing. But that's when I've, when I've allowed that to happen, that's really when I've seen the face of God. God. And then through that resurrection. When, I was, when, when my brother died, I was praying about, you know, what, what gospel to use and those kinds of things. And just looking a lot and 
I'd actually had a gospel picked out, sent it into the, you know, for the program and all that. Uh, and the day before, I just spent time with this gospel, the day before his funeral. And if you were to go to his program, the gospel that was read was not the one that was in the program. I switched mm -hmm. to this because I just, I could, I could totally connect with her. Um, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died, right? And, yeah. and I just found myself just really reflecting on that just like you were talking about Jesus and, and really experiencing a closeness in his weeping. But then the miracle obviously is, is not just the Lazarus raising from the dead, but Jesus says that I'm the resurrection, right? So I just preached about, you know, my brother hearing that, you know, my, my brother hearing Jesus say, you know, Mark come out and, and he calls mm -hmm. each one of us that, that there's going to be a day that each one of us hears that everybody's going to die. And please, Lord, let let us be able to hear him call our name and say, come out. Yes. You know, what what this is ultimately, it says, ultimately, this is going to end in the Lord's glory and him being glorified. And that's because each one of us, everybody is going to be in the grave. I mean, that's just that's the way the story yeah. is going to end. Uh, but Jesus, uh, who's going to weep, is still going to call us by name and call us out of that. So as, as we're drawing uh, closer and closer to the end of Lent, uh, just, yeah, just be with Jesus, be where he is. Uh, and sometimes that's um, in a places that, that maybe stirs in our hearts some sadness, uh, but understand that the Lord meets us in the middle of that. Uh, and, and even in our sadness, it wasn't just Lazarus that he called out. He called Mary out of the house. He called Martha out and, and allowed himself to encounter us there. So, yeah, we pray that we were able to encounter the Lord in the midst of that as we draw closer to the Passion Sunday. Is that our blessing? You want to pray? I'll offer it. All right. Lord, we, we do thank you for your grace and your blessing and your peace. We thank you for Lent as we continue to journey with you. We don't go ahead of you. We don't go behind, but we walk with you. Allow us to find you in the midst of our struggle and our difficulty. May the Lord bless us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless you, Bob. Amen. Bless you, Father Dave, and bless all of you for listening. Uh, thanks for your emails and your prayers. You can always shoot us a message at hope at franciscan.edu. That's hope at franciscan.edu. God bless. Bless you.